0: Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. While they were together on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses detailed and intricate plans for building the tabernacle. This was to be a tent where God would take up home as they journeyed from the wilderness into the promised land, where he would be present in his glory. Moses passed on these plans to the Israelites, who immediately acted in faith and gave what they had in order to build the temple. Those who had gold gave gold. Those who owned cloth and other valuable items provided them willingly. The craftsmen and the artists and the carpenters eagerly set to work under the leadership of a man named Bezalel, assembling the tabernacle where God would make himself known. The whole nation was captivated by the vision and gave their offerings to God. The tabernacle had a perimeter around the outside and a courtyard with an altar for sacrifices. The tent itself was carefully designed with an inner and an outer layer, Several important items were crafted for the tabernacle, a table on which 12 loaves of bread were placed, a lampstand which was always kept lit, and the Ark of the Covenant, a large chest with winged angels on top, which contained the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. The Ark was separated from the rest of the tabernacle by a heavy curtain and was the place where God would live, where God would be with his people, and go with them just as he had promised. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they'd done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the curtain, and set out the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, and Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar, and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here together today. A special welcome as well to those joining us in London and also online. So a question to to kick us off today. How many of you here, give me a big wave, if you've ever been camping? Give me a wave. Any campers? Okay, many campers in the building. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. Uh, Second question, how many of you have ever enjoyed camping? Okay, some happy campers in the room as well. That's brilliant. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, last summer, uh, Annabelle, my wife, and I, we decided to go camping for the first time. Uh, Now, we figured we had been married four years, so our relationship was probably strong enough uh, to deal with the rigors of camping life. And and we experienced some of those rigors during our five nights that we were there. Like, for example, when we woke up in the middle of the night, in the middle of a thunderstorm, to find a river flowing through the middle of our tent. That was a wonderful moment. Or, uh, or what about the two-minute walk every time you need to go to the bathroom when you're camping, which seems to be more often than when you're at home, I don't know about you. But the best one was, we went back again this year. And we experienced our own version of one of the ten plagues, uh, which was that in the middle of uh, this glorious evening, the sun was out, all of the flying ants in the area decided they wanted to come out and congregate, not on anyone else's tent, just on our tent. <laughs> and they're swarming around under the joys of camping life. But having said all that, we still really, really enjoyed it. There's something about setting up home in the middle of the beautiful Welsh countryside. I think you'll see a picture behind me. Just getting to enjoy the space, enjoy the slower rhythm of life, enjoy each other. We absolutely loved it, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. As we come to the end of this season of Moses, the end of our season encountering the living God, we see Moses and the Israelites are camping too. And because they go camping, God comes camping with them. One of Moses' trips up the tabernacle, up the mountain, apologies, he goes and God gives him plans for the tabernacle. He gives him plans for a tent where God would dwell. Now, this was not just your everyday tent. This was not just a pop-up tent that you'd take to Glastonbury, use and abuse, and then leave it behind. This was a taste the difference, never-before-seen tent, because this was a tent where the living God would come to dwell in all of his glory. And everything about this tent, everything about the tabernacle, shouted to the Israelites this message, God is with you, God is here There was an altar on the way into the tabernacle for the the priests to make sacrifices to remind the Israelites of God's forgiveness and his mercy towards them. There were 12 loaves of bread placed on a table to signify God's provision for all of his people. There was a lampstand which was kept always lit, signifying God's watchful eye over his people, his protection and his guidance. And then there was the Holy of Holies, God's room itself, separated off from the rest of the tabernacle by a veil. And it was in this place that God would come and he would dwell. In the passage, we heard this right at the end, right at the end of the book of Exodus, right at the end of this passage, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. The glory comes. The glory, which is literally the fullness of God present in one place, comes to live with Moses and with the Israelites. One pastor described it as this. He said, The glory of God isn't just a feeling, an event, or an Old Testament experience. It's a spiritual tsunami of everything contained in the character of God. A spiritual tsunami, the fullness of God came to dwell there. Everything we've seen of God in this series, His love when He called and led His people out of Egypt, His power when He opened a way through the Red Sea, His holiness and purity when He appeared on the mountain in fire and in smoke, His beauty, His joy, His peace, all of the fullness of God comes to dwell in the tabernacle, in His glory. And you know, that same glory, that same fullness is here for you and us today. God is here by His Spirit, His presence, to be with us and to fill us, to equip us to do all that He has called us to do. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are at in your Christian walk, wherever you're at in your faith today, lean in as we unpack the wonder of the glory of God with us, and then as Hannah comes to share more of how we can practically position ourselves for more. So the first point is this. God wants to fill us with more of His glory. God wants to fill us with more of his glory. Now, the tabernacle was a wonderful tent, but it had one built-in restriction, one limitation, and that was the veil, the veil that separated off God's room from the rest of the Israelites. And that veil was there for a reason, because beyond the veil was the fullness of God. Yes, his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy, but also his purity, his holiness, his perfection dwelt there. And if the imperfect Israelites were to come into the presence of the perfect God in their own strength and their own merit, they wouldn't have been able to survive the experience. And so God puts the veil there. But he allowed one person once a year, the high priest, access into the glory of God. He would come on behalf of the Israelites once a year, and then he would go back out for the rest of the time. And this continued year after year. The portable tabernacle down the line was made into a permanent temple, but still the veil remained. God was present with his people, but he was inaccessible to them in his fullness. Until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwelt in a man. And he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And as he died on the cross, he took all of our imperfections, took them on himself, and did away with them on the cross. And we see this wonderful narrative of what happens in that moment in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the fullness of God from his people was gone because the separation was no longer needed. And imperfect people became perfect and had access into the presence of the living God. That's our place today. That's the access we have today. Another writer in the New Testament puts it like this. And now because of the blood of Jesus, he welcomes us to come. He welcomes you to come here. However you're feeling, whatever's happened, he welcomes you to come boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus's body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. You know, Jesus' forgiveness that he bought at the cross was for a purpose. It was to allow you access into the fullness of the presence of the living God. So I wonder today, how full would you say you are? How much would you say you're living in the reality of the fullness of God? Well, I want to use a bit of a visual analogy here. And I want to use a picture of this water as the glory of God and these glasses as us. Now, the reason it's a little bit green uh, is because I collected this from the River Cam on Friday afternoon, the river running through Cambridge. So there's bits of punter in it, bits of Cambridge student floating around. But here we've got a small glass that is half full or half empty. You choose. But the reality is there's room for more, isn't there? There's room for more. And I wonder how many of us... There's room for more sound in this room as well, I think. How many of us feel like this? How many of us feel, you know what, I may be experiencing part of the fullness of God, a measure of the glory of God, but you know there's space for more. And I know sometimes this happens in our life because of busyness. You know, things happen and it takes us away from the reality that God's with us. We become busy in our minds and our hearts and our lives and we get pulled away. Sometimes circumstances knock us back and make us doubt the goodness of God, that he really wants to come. He really wants to do everything he says in his word. And we step back and we go, you know what, I'm just going to be satisfied with where I am. We lose sight of the fact that we were designed for fullness. It's kind of like the story of the lady who, before the time of airplanes, she bought a boat trip from the USA to England. She wanted to come and live over here, which I think is a great choice. And she was a poor lady So she saved up everything that she had and she put it into this boat trip. And with the remaining money, she went and she bought a suitcase and she bought some crackers because that was all she could afford to sustain her through the two-week trip. And as the boat was going, day after day, she would wander the decks of the boat. She would look at the people who were eating all of the good food, all of the pizza and the pasta in strada, because although there were no planes, there were still, you know, chain restaurants. All of the burgers, drinking their fill, enjoying life in all its fullness on the boat. And she would think, if only I had enough money for that, but I don't. And so she'd go back to her room and eat her crackers, and day after day, just disappointment growing. And then she arrives in the dock in England, and as she's departing, a sailor says to her, did you enjoy your trip, ma'am? And she says, you know what, I'm, I'm glad I'm here, but I just wish that I'd been able to access everything that was available on the boat. I wish I had enough money. And the sailor turns to her and says, ma'am, didn't you realize this is an all-inclusive cruise? This is an all-inclusive cruise. The ticket that you saved up and bought for gave you free access into everything on the boat. You know, I think the same is true for us in our Christian faith. Sometimes we lose the reality that the fullness of God, everything of God, is here for you today. And I want to say, if you are thirsty today, then come to Him. Come to your good Father who wants to fill you and ask. And He will fill you up and fill you up and fill you up with His fullness today. Stay thirsty. But you know, there's two types of thirst, I think. There's the type of thirst that we feel when we're we're empty and we just need to be filled. But there's also the type of thirst that we feel when we've already experienced a measure of something, but suddenly we taste something so good that we want more, that we want more. I still remember where I was when Fanta Lemon came out. Come on, come on. I was in a year five school trip in Glasgow and suddenly in this uh, can machine was Fanta Lemon. We thought, we've never tried this before. Wonder what it's like. So we paid our money, we got it out, we opened up the can and we drank and oh my goodness, a thirst was awakened in us that we never knew we had before. Suddenly we had tasted and seen that Fanta Lemon is good and we wanted more and more and more until all of our money was spent and gone. (laughs) In all seriousness, the glory of God is so much better than phantom lemon or anything else that you can have in your life. And as we continue to taste of God, as we continue to encounter his glory, as we continue to thirst and say, I'm not satisfied with the measure of glory that I have, he increases our capacity to handle more of him. He creates more space in our lives for us to keep thirsting and keep pressing in for the more that he has for us. You know, this happens when we come to our Bible, and instead of just seeing it as we're going to tick it off for the day and move on, when we come and say, God, you are here in your fullness with me, and you want to speak to me. You want to meet with me. You want to fill me up afresh. It happens when we pray, and instead of just throwing up our wish list of prayers, we actually stop and we go, God, I want to encounter your presence through prayer. I want to speak to you. I want to hear from you, because that's the full access that he purchased for us. As we stay thirsty, he will keep creating space for more, And then he will come and he will keep filling us with more and more, more of his peace, more of his presence, more of himself as we stay thirsty. Now, that's God's plan for me and for you individually, but also for us as a church, also for us as a church. You know, there is a measure of the glory of God that we can experience together that we can only dream about on our own. And kind of logically, this makes sense, doesn't it? If we take this big container as the church, when we come together, all of us carrying the Spirit of God, the glory of God, there's literally just more room for more. So when we bring what we have into the mix, God says, you know what, there's more space and I want to fill you with more. But you know, it's actually more than that. It's actually more than that because again and again through the Bible, we see the truth that God loves church. God loves church. He loves it when his people, his family, his children come together and say, you know what? I'm going to get up early. I'm going to get up when my alarm goes off. I'm going to get my kids together. And I'm going to choose to come and worship you. I'm going to choose to come and fix my eyes on you. There's something that happens when we are together that cannot happen on our own. A pastor in the States, Bill Johnson, he put it like this. Some things are actually too precious to be given to only one. They must be shared with a company of people, a body, the church. There are aspects of his presence which will only be experienced in the corporate gathering, which will only be experienced. You know, we experience an amazing sense of God's presence in this church when we come and we gather together. But you know, there is more. There is more. We haven't yet hit the time where, like when the tabernacle was built, Moses couldn't go in because the glory of God was so present in that place. But we live in a better place with free access. So as we come to church, expectant, faith-filled to meet with him, he will fill us up more. As we come regularly, as we come early, as we come to worship and seek his face. You know, worship is not the warm-up to the preach. It is a feasting on the presence of the living God, the glory of God. God has more. Come on. God has more for us individually and more for us together. But you know, as well as just thirsting, as well as positioning ourselves in our hearts, just like the Israelites had to actually take action and do something, so we have to take action as well. And so I'd like to welcome up Hannah as she shares the next part in our message. Let's welcome her. Come on.
2: Come on. Thank you so much. So as Chris has mentioned already, alongside stirring our hearts to be expectant and thirsty for God, what practical ways can we then take to position ourselves for more of God's glory? And ultimately, it's our passion that makes way for more. And this comes from having a passionate response. And I love the word passion, which says, passion is a strong desire that can get you to do amazing things. Passion is an emotion to be acted upon. And passion is the fuel in the fire of action. And ultimately, it's this passion that makes way for more of God's glory. In the reading that we saw, um, there was a plan given for the tabernacle, specific details and specifications given to Moses and the Israelites, and they had to respond to this. It was their passion that moved them to action. They were so passionate that they gave everything that they had, and it makes a way for more as we do this. It is this passionate response that makes way for God's dwelling place and ultimately his glory. And therefore, as we see from the Israelites, this isn't kind of a half-hearted or let's just give it a go kind of response, but this comes from a deep place of gratitude of all that God has done for them. There's a hunger for him. So let's allow our hunger to move us to action this morning. The Israelites knew the promises that God had made. That God would be with them because he is love. They were aware of who God was, his nature, and the heart was the, that was behind this. So the response comes from this idea of gratitude, of overflow of the heart, of all that God has done for them. We see a group of people then passionately responding, responding to make way for more. And the Israelites did everything to the specification that God had told them. They held nothing back in order to secure the Lord's dwelling place. And this didn't come from a place of ought to or should, but it came from a deep place of passionate worship to fulfill all that God had commanded. As it says in Exodus 35, Whoever is willing of heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. And God is inviting them into the process at this point. As they partner with Him, God is at work just as He is inviting us into the story. And we see this in the meticulous attention to detail that's paid. The materials that were used were costly, they were not readily available, they were fine linens, they were threads, they were things that they couldn't find easily. And craftsmen would spend day and night crafting these into the special specifications of the tabernacle that had been given by God. And you can see here, this is an amazing response of passion. They're doing this, they're using their time, they're using their money, they're using their resources because they're ultimately passionate to see more of God's glory and to make way for more. And there comes a point where the Israelites are so willing and obedient, they give absolutely everything. Moses is blown away by this point. There is an extravagant giving where they just give so, so much. And you know, at this point, it might be a bit surprising because these are the Israelites that we have seen of rebel, build false gods, go different paths. But at this moment, they have seen and they have heard the promise of God and they are so desperate for him to dwell with them they are a passionate people that make way for more of the glory of God. But perhaps there's a question for each of us this morning as well, that what are we willing to leave behind, perhaps to sacrifice for a greater measure of God's glory in our own lives? It might be something that God's calling us into, it might be something that he's asking us to leave behind this morning, and this isn't An easy challenge as we step back and consider and count the cost. What would we be willing to give? But when we shift that and consider what God has done for us and what is available for us through Jesus dying on the cross, that always reminds me that deserves my passionate, wholehearted response to all that he has done. Because the more we are hungry, the more God will fill us. The more we're passionate and hungry for his presence, the more we will see him move. So let's allow our hunger to move us to action this morning. And our passion plays itself out in the form of sacrifice and obedience, both as a church together and individually. Because God's glory is amazing and it demands a response from us. It demands a response of obedience and of sacrifice. So we together as a church, we have an absolute privilege of a body together, building together as we sacrificially give and are obedient to God, we can together make way for more of his glory. As it says in 1 Peter, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And being part of a church family, we have the privilege of collectively serving, giving, praying, fasting, and many other things. And this comes, again, from a place of gratitude of all that God has done for us in this church family, that as we offer our gifts and sacrifices, as we are obedient to all he does, that's what's so beautiful about the church as we act upon that. Because we will see God's glory, not just for ourselves, but we will see the overflow into the lives of others. And that's when we'll see the glory fall. And you know, that's why I love Kingsgate. This is a church that are filled with passionate people that are giving sacrificially because they know of the goodness of God. And I'm always blown away by how people give sacrificially year in, year out, month in, month out for things like our building fund, for special offerings, people that are tithing every month even when it looks like they don't have enough, they're going to be obedient and they're going to be sacrificial because they know of the goodness of God. And I'm so thankful for those people that gave in to the special offering to launch London and to launch Leicester. Because I can tell you countless stories of seeing lives transformed because of people here that were willing to give into something beyond themselves. Because they were willing to offer a sacrifice as they were echoing back just as God had done for them. So why wouldn't we want to be a people of passionate sacrifice? The Israelites gave everything for God to dwell with them. We want to give our all so we experience his goodness and his glory but to be an overflow into the lives of other people. Because as we have a passionate response we will see more of his glory. An example of this is um, a young lady called Sue. Now, as a team at Leicester, we met her at Freshers' Fair in January. Sue was a student from De Montfort University, and she was from Southeast China. As we began to chat to her, it was very apparent she'd never heard of the name of Jesus before, she'd never seen a Bible. And she decided to come along to church one Sunday and she struggled to engage with it due to a language barrier but she said she knew that there was something different going on in this place. And she continued to come every Sunday. She signed up to the Alpha course and through Alpha she gave her life to Jesus. We had the privilege of seeing her baptised back in July. <laughs> And this is just one story of one life that's transformed. It happens across all of our centres on, you know, on a regular basis of people seeing Jesus, of people having their lives transformed. And that's because someone gave sacrificially into the offering to be able to launch Leicester. That her eternal destiny has been changed because somebody was willing to give and sacrifice. And there might be some people here today that maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, actually, I'm quite weary about giving. Perhaps maybe God is calling you to give more in this next season. But I just want to encourage you that as the Israelites did, just give everything because of the goodness of God, that he is holy and he is good. And you will receive way more back than you expect as you're obedient and sacrificial to him. So, in this next season, this is a great encouragement and also challenge for us. That as we step out in obedience, we see the windows of heaven open. And in this great season of 21 days of prayer and fasting coming up that you heard of this morning, that um, we have got an opportunity to dig into all that God's got for us, to passionately express what he means to us. And perhaps you might want to consider how much are you expecting an encounter with God during this next season. Because I desperately want to see more of God's glory in my own life. But ultimately I'm motivated by seeing breakthrough in our cities and in our nation for his glory to manifest in those places. And that might look different for you in your workplace, in your home or wherever you are placed in this season. But even looking back last year at the 30 days of prayer and fasting, that we had countless testimonies of promotions, of miraculous healing, of breakthrough, of salvation. And you know, as we pray and dig in, that we will see the windows of heaven and we will see the glory of God come as we are obedient and sacrificial to all that he is asking us to do. And also there's an opportunity to respond individually to this that we have the spirit of God on the inside of us for those that are Christians. God is manifest within us, that we no longer have to look for a fire or cloud, but he's with us. So today might be the day to just really consider, let's get rid of any sin issues, let's be obedient to do just as he commanded, and we will see more of his glory as we step out and do that. And you know, we're building a home for God. Last year, I moved into my own home in Leicester. And one of the important things for me was that I built a home that welcomed other people, that that I saw people come through the door that wanted to be there and felt very welcome. We do the same as we build a house for God, that he will come where he is welcome. And as Chris said earlier, no matter what you have done, God will still want to show up. And this might look look like for you something that God's calling you into today or it might be that he's asking you to release something that perhaps isn't good in your life right now. But can I just encourage you if God's asking you to release something he'll only give you something better in return. As we are obedient we will see more of his glory. The Israelites gave out of passion because they knew of who God was because of his love and his holiness for creating a good home for him. So our passion makes, more, makes way for more of his glory. And I'm going to invite Chris back up as we conclude and respond.
1: Amazing. So as we come to the end of this message, the end of this book of Exodus, we see God's passionate desire to fill his people with his glory. And we see the people's passionate response in laying down everything that they had to make way for more of him. Because, you know, Moses and the Israelites, they figured something out. They'd figured something out, which is that the glory of God is essential. The glory of God is essential if they were to be all that God had called them to be. And the same is true for us here today. When Moses was up on the mountain, God called Moses again into the mission, into the purpose that he had for them. And he said this, now go, get on your way from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Head for the land which I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants." And then look at Moses' response here. Moses says, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? God had an amazing plan and purpose for Moses and the Israelites, but Moses stopped. He looked at God and he said, I'm not going without your glory. I'm not going if you don't go with me. I need to be overflowing with you if I'm going to step out into this new season. And I want to encourage us, Kingsgate, as we kind of springboard from this series of encountering the living God into a season where we're praying and we're fasting and we're seeking God like never before, let's make this our declaration. I'm not going without your glory. I'm not going without your glory. I'm not satisfied for the measure that I have, but I am after more. I am after more. Because, you know, just as Moses had a mission, we have a mission as well here. Transforming lives from our neighborhoods to the nations by the power of God's love. And as God calls us continually on with that, going deeper together in all he has for us, it's not going to happen if we go in our own strength. It's only going to happen when we go full of the glory of God. When we go faith-filled and expectant that we're going to see him in our lives, but not just in our lives, but overflowing into the lives of those around us that we're not just going to see him in our own private prayer time, but when people come into our homes, that they're going to experience the presence of God, the peace of God, just because the atmosphere has changed and we overflow into those around us. As we head into this next season, let's be expectant that God is going to overflow us as a church, as we worship, as we pray together. People are going to come increasingly into our services and encounter the presence of God, overflowing into them. Even in the car park, people coming down, the presence of God. Come on, this is our heart's cry. This is God's desire for us as a people, to be a people who carry the fullness of God. You know, this church is called King's Gate. We're the gate of the king. We're designed to bring God to people and to bring people to God. Our vision is this river, Ezekiel 47, flowing out from the temple, getting deeper and deeper and deeper wherever it goes, overflowing into lives around us, bringing hope where there's hopelessness, bringing joy where there's despair. This is God's plan. But it will only happen if we, as a people, fix our eyes on God, say, God, we're not going anywhere without your glory, We want more of you fill us again and then we overflow into those around us. Amen. Amen. Amen.